When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's film study once again. We're going to uh, really dig into the offense this week. The offense that uh, was not that exciting, I guess, on Sunday. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. I, I It's playoff baseball. I love playoff baseball. And besides the fact that it took me 30 minutes to find Fox Sports 1 on my TV, I like baseball. I'm having the same problems. Finding TBS, Fox Sports 1, wherever the games are. It's, just, it's not on network television anymore. It's just weird. No, it's 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 out of control with all these. They're using playoff baseball to put it on their sub channels, not because it's easier for you, but they just want you to know about these other channels. <laughs> it's no fun. But uh, joining us tonight to talk Ravens is Chris uh, Schisler from Ebony Birds. Did I get your last name right, Chris? Yeah, that'll work. Schisler, Schisler, either one's fine. All right, close enough. That works for me then. I, I never do great with names. So, Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. All no, right. No good. All right. That's great good. To, great to have you, Chris. Uh, tell us about Ebony Bird, first of all, starting. Well, it's a fan-sided site, and one of the cool things about it is really Ravens fans doing it for Ravens fans. And we try to be objective and try to get into the nitty-gritty. But, I mean, we live and die on every snap, and that's pretty much what we offer. We know we're not going to out ESPN everyone. So we try to have takes, opinions, analysis out the wazoo rather than, oh, Tim Williams got cut or, oh, we signed Jihad Ward. Like, we get it. And so that we try to just have good takes on everything, you know, just everything Ravens all the time. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Exactly. Kind of. Fan-sided opinions we're looking for on this show. Uh, you know, be yourself. I'm always kind of technical, and that's the way life works sometimes. Uh, but uh, we, we, we value everybody in terms of their different opinion that they bring here. So Ravens kind of dominated this one in terms of snap count, as has been their way since Lamar Jackson took over. 73-51 in snaps, which seems like they should have had more of an advantage on the scoreboard, but 3.8 yards per play really held them back a lot. Absolutely. I, this offense is either great or it's bad. And yeah, they're getting a lot of plays off, but it's so inconsistent and the blocking is inconsistent. 
Lamar Jackson's inconsistent. Inconsistent's the word of the day, I guess. All right. Well, in terms of the division, I think one of the nice things to take about this, and we looked at this last week, and I wanted to do it again this week, because the field has changed, and it is a week-to-week league, we know, but it is very much a week-to-week league for the gamblers as well. And now I'm going to give you the prices, the best price you can get per dollar return. So think about going to the $1 window at horse racing, if that makes sense as a Marylander, mm-hmm. and what you get back on your bet. So if you if you bet the Ravens, it's a, your dollar gets you 175 back, so it's uh, three to four odds, effectively. You bet on Cleveland, you get $2.75 back on your dollar, including your bet. Pittsburgh, $15, and, and Cincinnati, $276 if you want them to win the division right now. So in terms of implied odds, that means the Ravens are about 56.8% and the Browns about 36.2% with the Steelers hanging in there at 6.6%. Now tell me, as a as a handicapper, which one of those do you like best? I'd go with Cleveland because I can see 10 and 6 for the Ravens and I can see 6 and 10 for the Ravens. Their schedule is brutal and they're playing bad football right now overall. I mean, there's signs of life, but Cleveland, I think, has the better roster. I don't trust their coaching. So the Ravens, maybe, but I'd go Cleveland. Yeah, and I agree. I think that price seems a little bit too high to me. Cleveland's next two games critical to the Ravens in terms of what's going on. They have two difficult games coming up. Uh, if they don't lose both of these games, I think they play Seattle the first week and I'm trying to remember if New England is the second or who it is, but their two tough games are, are are now, and then they play about eight easy ones in a row. So it's uh, they've got definitely a chance to recover, even if they were to be two and five. But if they uh, if they do better than that, if they're three and four, or even if they're four and three, God forbid, then they're clearly the favorite to win the division at that point. Uh, but anyway, uh, the Gamblers haven't given it to anybody yet. They didn't give it to Cleveland after Cleveland beat Baltimore in Baltimore. Uh, not by much anyway. No, they didn't. They had, still had Baltimore as the favorite. So uh, odd situation here. The Steelers uh, still a favorite of DeVoa, even at one and four. A lot of people think the Steelers' defense is probably the best in the division at this point. But, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, obviously some significant questions on offense now more than there were for the Steelers. Yeah, I don't trust the Steelers right now. But, you know, how how do you trust anybody without a starting quarterback in the league? Yeah, there you go. All right. So let's move on to the Ravens game. That's what we promised people. That's what we want to talk about. And I guess the place to talk when we when we start offense is to start talk about Lamar Jackson and what happened in the Pittsburgh game. It wasn't a pretty game for him, certainly. Uh, Pittsburgh, my observations, played a lot of zone defense, uh, with the obvious choice being to keep their eyes on the football. Uh, they could really afford to do it because their four-man rush is very effective, which means playing seven in zone is very packed, and that makes it very difficult for a lot, really very difficult for short passing, but also very difficult uh, to go over the middle as well. So uh, it was a, certainly a, a defense that uh, suited the Steelers well in terms of facing Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think Lamar had a rough day, but I think the whole offense did. The Steelers were very disciplined. The Ravens did a lot of pre-snap motions. They're, when you're playing zone, there's not much adjustment to be had, and nothing really was – there was no advantage for doing that. Uh, the Steelers played discipline. They didn't react to pretty much anything the Ravens did. And Baltimore was hoping that they'd be undisciplined a little bit in that passing game and the running game. I mean, the Ravens' offense is very telegraphic right now. Yeah, I would think at least the pre-snap motion of the tight end and H-back, fullback, Ricard and Boyle in particular – who are excellent blockers would have been able to give the in motion kind of like a starting of a pulling lineman as you start the play. That should have more value, I would think, against zone defense. You know, in terms of, of crashing the line, I think it, it gives more credibility to the the run middle or even the the you know a outside zone run to the to the right perhaps, uh, and and then the option to run the football with Lamar that they took advantage of a few times. Uh, but I, anyway, I thought that that. It was a very poor blocking day for both Boyle and Hurst in particular. They were I, Boyle and Hurst. I'm sorry, I meant Boyle and um, and Ricard. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, very poor blocking day for those two. And uh, that really hampered the Ravens' run attack, which had its worst game of the year. Yeah, I thought everyone got to their blocks, but I didn't think they did much when they got there. The power at the point of contact wasn't there. Yeah, I agree. They weren't moving people, and that's what something the Ravens really should do when they get these two-on-one matchups, even if it's Tewitt or Hayward that they're blocking against. But the Ravens had a, had a lousy day of pulling. They were, uh, let me get this right, 10 for 17 on pulls for the day. Bozeman was 7 of 11. Leonda was the only decent one at 3 of 3. All three other linemen were 0 for 1 in terms of their pulls. So that's that's a lot of problems to not get started uh, better than that. Those blocks often are high-value blocks that will be the key block in opening a hole to get your running back sprung to level two where you can start to break some tackles and, and, and make some make a big play happen. Yeah, and another problem that we had was we got great push for the defensive linemen and the linebackers filled. We, we took defensive linemen out of the play and linebackers were right there. I mean, Devin Bush was well worth moving up for in the draft. It's pretty simple right there. The Steelers linebackers were a weakness last year. They're not a weakness this year. No, they're better. Mark Barron is a is a smallish guy in terms of the run, but uh, certainly a, a more useful cover guy than they've had in that position. I'm still not convinced he's he's a particularly great linebacker, but he's a former first round pick and you know former safety in the league. They brought up to play linebacker. Uh, I think that if you talk to Steelers fans, they really believe that Minka Fitzpatrick has pulled the defense together in terms of solidifying it by giving them that back end presence. Well, they kind of have to hope that that's true. Um... Their defensive backs played really well in this game. They played really well. They were all over it. And Jackson didn't see on one interception. I'm just like, how do you not see him? Right. That was, that was his worst throw of the year, certainly, in terms of game management and in terms of the interception itself, just to, to miss the miss the opponent there and then to, to also throw that bad a pass at that time of the game and you know, give up three points right before the half. Could have been. Could have been seven. They had the time to do it. Well, it was uh, frustrating because it was just he didn't see him. I there's no explanation. I'm looking at that play five times. I'm like, there's there's no explanation. He didn't see him, mm-hmm. and he's been seeing the field so well. That's one of his assets as a quarterback so far, as a young one anyway. That uh, was baffling. Right. He he uses the backs of the defenders very well. And we saw this particularly in the Miami game. The touchdown pass to Boykin in the back of the end zone was using the backs of the defenders. He threw that ball up, high arcing, lobbing pass. Looked like it was dangerous to throw the ball to that spot, particularly with any defenders around. But both defenders had their back turned to the ball when when the when they threw the pass, which made it a very safe pass. With the zone defense and everybody looking back at the ball, looking back at Lamar. You don't have that same thing. You can't take the same chances on the same size of window that you would with back's turn. That's why back shoulders throws to the outside work. It's, you know, it's a kind of a basic precept of football and of quarterbacking that I think he he would have had to pick up by now. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was just a boneheaded play, which is uncharacteristic for even a young quarterback like Jackson. All right. One of the other things in terms of, of a play, and you can pick out anything you like too, Chris. We want to you know give you the opportunity to pull things. I really I thought they missed a huge opportunity on first down when they were backed up to the goal line. They're back on the one yard line where on third down was almost a safety, but the first two downs were incomplete passes. The first pass did not quite have ample time and space, but he got the ball out quickly and it looked like there was time to get a long pass off. He had single coverage with Brown at about the 35 or 40 yard line. Single coverage. Brown had about two yards of separation. He threw the ball to Andrews, who had one guy over the top and two other guys in the immediate vicinity. It was a max protect play. So they were they were they held back three guys as set blockers on the play with only two receivers in the route. But to me, that was a that was a very bad choice. And it was Jackson feeling a little bit more pressured, I guess, because he was standing in the end zone. Yeah, I think the timing of the play was off. And I think when Jackson misses, the timing is usually the culprit. I, I I agree with you on your assessment of the play. It would have been great to see him try and throw to any empty area of the field in the normal range of Brown, which would have been, you know, you've got a wide, effectively, arc 
of area that you can throw it anywhere within that. And Brown will go chase that ball down and, you know, he'll probably get there first. And if he, if he catches it and you still leave him space, he might go all the way with the ball. It was just a shame to see that, see that opportunity lost. And I think that's probably a good learning moment for Jackson. I think that's a really good thing though, because you put that on tape, you get, you get a conversation with him and, in film study, you know, in the castle. And I think he makes that throw next time, or he says, you know what? Don't make that mistake again. So Pittsburgh's a rough place to throw the football in on your one yard line. That stadium was just rocking and they had all the momentum. Everything's just going their way. How did we win them? How did we win this game? Yeah. Great punt by cook. Got him out of that. Got him, got him out of that uh, deep hole. You know what that play reminded me of was when they got backed up to the one-yard line and they were punting. might have been from the two that they did it, actually. But it was in the Tennessee playoff game in 08 where they, they recovered the ball at the one-yard line and they couldn't move it. And then they had to punt it again. And, they, and that punt by Cook that got it out to about the 43-yard line or something where they started their next drive, and then the Ravens still held them to only the tying field goal, that's kind of – where I link this together. And then, they, and then, of course, Joe Flacco led him on the winning drive for uh, uh, that would send him on to the AFC Championship game. But very exciting um, uh, turnaround there for Cook on Sunday at Pittsburgh uh, to, to do something similar. He kicked the, he, boosted, he booted that ball past midfield, you know, part of a great special teams day for the Ravens. And it was returned, I think, about 12 yards on the play, so they got into, into Ravens territory. But about as good field position as you could hope under the circumstances. Absolutely. Cook's a Pro Bowl punter for a reason. Oh, actually, he's not a Pro Bowl punter. What's up with that? He's <laughs> a Pro Bowl holder, that's for sure. <laughs> for sure. Showed it off again. So, you know, kind of an ongoing theme that's been happening this season is Lamar has not really been making the most of his ample time and space opportunities. So uh, that's something I want to talk a little bit about. Also, there's one other thing I want to make sure I don't miss either. Remind me to go back to play action after this. But uh, Lamar, in terms of ample time and space opportunities, had a actually pretty good number of 17 out of 33 times the offensive line gave him ample time and space. Now, here's, here's kind of my theory of what happened during this game. If I look at when they occurred, most of them were late. So it's, it's, the Ravens piled up 73 offensive snaps. The Steelers do not rotate a lot on that defensive line. They have a few guys, but they don't play many snaps other than uh, Tewitt, Hayward, a little bit of Hargrave and Watt and Dupree. So it's usually those five guys splitting four positions worth of snaps, which the Ravens would never do. That's too much. That's overplaying those players by too much by Ravens standards. And that's when the Ravens play 55 snaps a game. And here the Steelers are forced to face 73. Steelers fans will often go back and say, why do we keep blowing the lead in the fourth quarter? And the Steelers have done a lot of that over the years. It's not just the Ravens folks. Uh, but that's the reason is the Steelers are not a rotational defensive line. And that's why their line can't really keep up a pass rush late in the game. Uh, if they're, if they're forced with to play four down football and forced to play a lot of consecutive snaps. So I thought that, that was interesting in this game that we had ample time and space that showed up in that pattern yet again, I'll give you a chance to respond to that, Chris, while I'm looking for the number yeah, here myself. I, I think Jackson's, was late on these throws. There's a couple of throws. I was like, why didn't you make them? He had a uh, boil on an out and up it was basically a wheel route um, early in the game. And he got sacked. And I'm like, if you throw that as he's turning, even Dick Boyle's catching that ball. Mm-hmm. And it was, the, I, I, I think he was waiting. I think he was being a little greedy. I was, you know, there were shots he could have taken, but he's like, no, I, w- I want Mark Andrews. No, I want Marquise Brown. The idea that I have with Jackson is he knows who he likes throwing the ball to. And why he doesn't like throwing the ball to Snead a little bit more is baffling to me, considering in a run-based offense last year, Snead was the only guy who did anything for you receiving. But, I mean, he hit him on the uh, game-tying drive at the end. But I just I think Jackson's lateness with, with the football is so actually off-brand because normally – He's throwing it too soon, and he's overthrowing guys um, because he's just he's he's got so much confidence now throwing the football that usually he just can't wait to take the shot. This was the opposite; he wasn't taking the shot, and when he took it, it was hesitant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a real problem. 
Yeah, he, he had he had more off-target issues. Obviously, throwing the ball out of bounds offline has not been his normal MO. It's usually been overthrown balls that have been his MO this year so far. But I want to get back to the ample time and space thing for just a moment here because he had with 17 out of 33 ample time and spaces, he should have been expected to throw for 205 yards. And he actually threw that's net. And he actually threw for 139. So it was a minus 66 game, which is terrible. Uh, That's compared to the Flacco standard of 2010 through 17. And we know that Flacco's strongest suit was not yards per throw (laughs) in any, uh, in a sense that it's not the most, rigorous standard that you would hold him to but anyway tough game for Lamar in terms of in terms of that to be sure there were a couple of plays uh the two sacks at the end of the first half where Orlando Brown Jr. and Ronnie Stanley got a hell of a rush and they held their own and then the pocket collapsed inside with Bozeman and Jackson stepped into a pocket that wasn't there yes and then the and then you had three defenders right there. That ball needs to be out at that point. That ball shouldn't have been in his hand. Out and or then it had roll been... right. What? He had, uh, he had room to roll right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it had to be uh, one of those two things. Absolutely. And then the next play, Matt Skura just gets blown back like he's a punching bag. Um, he's completely hunched over. The laziest pass blocking I've seen, and which is sad because Skura's been our best interior lineman the last couple games, which is weird to say because Yonda is a Hall of Fame talent, but Skura has actually played well. That was horrible pass blocking by Skura on that play. Yeah, I guess he can get high sometimes. There's a lot of things to like about Skura, and I want to come back to him during the offensive line segment, Chris. So we'll have what we we hold on for just a second on that. Um, The other thing I want to make sure that I didn't pass up on was the opportunity to talk about play action here because the Ravens have all but abandoned it and what they're doing is scripted play action now more than anything else. They're really not doing much outside of the scripted periods, uh, the initial uh, plays of the game. So I just want to want to toss this out for you. They only had one turn your back to the defense play action the entire game. It was on the third pass play of the game. Uh, and that went for, what, it go for a four-yard play in the end. Uh, but that was a, a standard kind of a play auction. Uh, turn your back, turn back around, reestablish the field, and he he threw the ball to Ingram on that play for a gain of four. They hadn't done an RPO fake, a true mesh fake, in the last couple of games, but they did one this game, and it was on the fourth play, that a fourth pass play of the game, and uh, it, it was an incomplete, uh, but uh, thrown for Brown. But uh, they did at least try it in this game. And uh, they hadn't hadn't for a while. And then after that, they had a total of two or three. Let's make sure here. Two other forward-facing fakes, which are other kind of times where the quarterback still keeps his eyes downfield but hand checks to a running back. And so that is just not nearly enough play action for 33 times when play action could potentially be very effective. I agree. You have the fastest quarterback on the planet and a running game that's number one in the NFL. If you make that a threat, even if it's not churning out that day, the Steelers aren't going to be like, oh, they're running the ball. Who cares? I, you've got, you, they're going to react to that. And Jackson's really strength has been play action. You look at the Dolphins game. I know it's the Dolphins. It's the Dolphins. Anyone can do it. But play action was core. You look at the Cardinals game. Play action was core to the plan. And really, it's been less and less of that. Honestly, it's almost like they're reverting back to last year where they're just keeping the passing game simple for Jackson. I don't understand it because Jackson's shown that he can do a little bit more. So have him do a little bit more. I know he's having a horrible horrible game. I get that. But have him do a little more. Well, the last two games, they've had they've had to contend with having a good four-man pass rush on the other side. So your play action, yeah, you 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 try and manipulate those linebackers and whatnot. But if they're if they're able to have a four-man pass rush with zone defense, they're going to keep their eyes on the football. And yes, they might bite on it, and and you might get more space between level two and level three for an Andrews or a Hurst or a Boyle or whoever to make a play. But it's, I think it's probably a little less likely to work might have been the thing. The other thing, that we, the, I think the Ravens just made it easy on the Steelers was 
they had did too many empty sets where they, uh, you know, obviously didn't have a back and that takes away any possibility of play action. Yeah. And it also means the ball's got to come out quick because your offensive linemen aren't winning their matchups. They're, they're pinning the ears, the defensive line, they're pinning the ears back going after too. So you, you, you definitely got to get that ball out quicker. Absolutely. All right. I did want to hit on that play action. Let's keep going, though. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about ample time and space. A, lot, a couple notes on the pass rush, though. The Steelers rushed four on 24 of 33 dropbacks. So all but nine, they rushed four. Now, let me be clear about something with regard to that. Of those four, they only had a, a man drop from the line of scrimmage on three of the 24 times they rushed four. Okay, so normally, and if you're the if they're the Ravens, there'd be I'd have all kinds of blitzes that would be scored four two, where I've got two numbers, I've got a blitz, I've got a stunt, I've got this and that going on, but I didn't have that with the Steelers. There was a bunch of four zero blitzes where their four down linemen were exactly who they showed were going to blitz, and they're exactly who came. It's the least deceptive form of pass rush that you can have. Uh, this, the, the Ravens, by comparison had to do all sorts of things to generate any amount of pressure in this game. And they generated a little bit, but but generally speaking, all they did was force the ball out quickly in very advantageous situations. Yeah, I, I think the lack of respect that the Steelers showed our offensive line is pretty telling. The fact that, hey, at, over time, they're like, hey, yeah, you can give them the ball. Um, that Pretty telling. We had one-on-one matchups with guys all day long. And, you know, the worst part – was Bradley Bozeman when he helped? They just took advantage of it. There was one stunt where it was like, "Are you kidding me? This is so obviously going to wrap around you." Yep, he, he's got Jackson. Great, wonderful. Um, it's it's very frustrating because our offensive line just got their butts kicked. It's very it's not it's not a bunch of X's and O's you can draw up on a board. They got their butts kicked. Yeah, they certainly they did lose some individual battles. I, I I don't think it was quite as bad as you're intimating there, which is something I always I always tell people in terms of offensive line play is it's very easy to get drawn into the easily memorable plays. And you you specifically mentioned the stunt where Bozeman helped inside, then he had to then he had to recover to the outside to hand somebody off to Stanley, he was too deep, and then he had to come back to the inside again to pick up the looping player. I know exactly the play you're talking about. And and you're right. It was I gave half of that charge to Stanley on the play. Maybe I was too hard on Stanley, but uh, you know, that thing is is a great memory. It's easy to memorize. Easy to memorize. It's also Bozeman gave up the French side pressure on a on the sack that Watt had opposite Brown. So most sacks have multiple multiple people involved. But the point I'm making with this is is that we have these strong visual memories that come from the game. And then it turns into a, he always does this or every time he does that. But that's not really the way offensive line play works. Offensive line play requires, since it has, you know, twice as many at-bats in a regular season as, as a, you know, a starting baseball player gets, you know, a thousand plus at-bats, quote unquote, you get. You really got to look at it block for block and got to got to really grade a player and try not to try not to grade him on the worst thing you ever saw. It may be characteristic of it. And, and I respect the scouts who do it at the college level trying to project a player to the pro level. But once you're at the pro level, I mean, this is it. There is no higher level of competition. Just tell me about how often he's he's succeeding in that, because I think that's what really matters. That's fair. And if you look at Bozeman, when it's bad, it's bad, but it's not that bad most of the time. I mean, the Browns game is a great example of that. He had a decent game, but that one sack early on, it was like, oh, man. And that's really what everyone remembers. So to your point, that is pretty true. But oh. some of the moments in this game, just, oh, <laughs> Drive your it was wife. ugly. It was, and it, they were preventable things. That's the frustrating thing is they were preventable by either a technique or just understanding what's going on or, I don't know, hitting somebody. <laughs> All right. Well, the Bengals, unfortunately, present a very similar challenge in terms of a talented four-man rush. They have, will, I'm sure, continue to play lots of zone. Flacco has been incredibly frustrated over the years, was incredibly frustrated by the Bengals defense, their ability to get home with four and prevent him from finding space, um, you know, for his receivers. 
I I think we could see that with Lamar again. I think we're going to need to really see a good game from Lamar, the runner, and from the from the uh, you know the offensive line and the running backs again in terms of getting the run game going uh, to, to to make sure that the defense, the, the Bengals' biggest strength, their defensive line, doesn't dominate. Yeah, it's the Bengals. Every time we play them, it's the same story. It's they went up front, and our quarterback can't deal with it. That's we'll see if it's Jackson's any different. We can't really count the game that they had against Jackson last year because he had 27 rushing attempts and he was mm-hmm. a wide-eyed like rookie who wasn't expecting to play. But yeah, it's, it was his first game. Yeah, so I mean they, that game doesn't count at all to the evaluation, but I'd like to see us not lose to the Bengals every single time like we know it's coming. I'd like not to hit, bang our heads into the same wall. Yeah, this is this would be a pretty bad Bengals team to lose to. They frankly look like they could be on the verge of giving in to the tank gremlin here. I mean, they should. They're, yeah. They. I mean, if if I'm the Bengals, I'm like, should we plan Sandy Dalton make this even worse? Right. That's that's right. So they have Driscoll, I guess, on their bench. They could just stick him in. Yeah, just let him get slaughtered, and you get the number one pick. Maybe if the Dolphins get a game, they shouldn't. I. You got a top three pick. You got two. If you got two quarterbacks in this draft, and you know some people like Herbert as well, then you, you've got a good chance to get your next guy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it wouldn't be an unreasonable strategy. Unfortunately, Arizona, uh, you know, might be bad enough to also be involved in that discussion. And but they and ha- they have a tie, well. so that kind of makes the math a little more complicated for them. Yeah, it it does. It does. It makes yeah. it more complicated. So if I'm Bengals, I'm just like let's tank, tank, tank. Of course, I'm a Ravens fan, so that's you know that's easy for me to say. You're concerned about it. The, the, the thing I love is that the Steelers don't really gain it, don't really gain anything from tanking at this point. So the fact that they're down to their second or third quarterback or whoever will will be finishing the season for them, uh, you know, is not really helping them in terms of future talent. They've already sacrificed their number one pick mm-hmm. to get a very good player in Micah Fitzpatrick, but it it, it was an awful lot to give up if it's a top ten pick. Well, I'm a, I was jumping for joy when they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick because before I'm kind of rooting for them to go seven and nine, eight and eight, miss the playoffs, mm-hmm. but not get the good pick. And now I'm just like lose, baby, lose. One and fifteen is fine with you, right? Yeah, exactly. I was actually hoping for I would sixteen at that point, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. All right, all right. Well, let's go into the offensive line scoring. This is something we do every every week at this point. Just want to give you a rundown on how I scored it uh, last night with Maureen. Uh, starting with Stanley, uh, he uh, got a B-plus on the game as I scored it, had some negative events, half a penetration, half a pressure, and half a sack, all of those. Uh, fortunately, it was a 73-snap game. He came in at the uh, middle of the B range, and with an adjustment I gave him, uh, it was a B-plus. A couple interesting things happened in this game. One was he got an adjustment, a positive one, for – uh, picking up on the neutral zone infraction. Because if he doesn't get out of his stance at that point, the Ravens don't get the five-yard penalty, which converts that fourth and six to fourth and one, and then they're able to convert it on the next play. But uh, that was that was a very big play for the Ravens there. Yeah, it absolutely was. And Stanley, I'm not really going to complain about because that's the smallest potato of the problem for the offensive line when he messes up. Right. Yeah, he uh, he and Bozeman did not seem to be on the same page in this game. In fact, uh, one of the pressures by Hayward, which I, I just split evenly between the two of them because it's not obvious, but they were clearly both blaming each other after the play. I don't like the look of that. Talking to each other, you know, and, and maybe pointing, I'd be okay with that, but they shouldn't be in their face animatedly pointing and obviously angry with each other. And that's what that's what happened. Take well, a look at I, it if you want to. I think that is kind of epidemic all across the team. Every week defensively, what do you hear? Communication issues? Mm-hmm. Well, you're having communication issues. If I'm if I'm John Harbaugh on the coaching staff, I'm like, okay, we need to figure this out right now because it's all over the field. Right. Uh, you know, the offensive line is a special unit that's played very well and among the league's best. It's It's when something like this happens – I'm especially bothered by it because it, it, you know, you got to trust the guy beside you to do his job. And obviously, there was some lack of trust in this particular case. It's the third to last play at Q1, the first and ten play, incomplete pass, and also happens to be the play where there was an IDP thrown, yes, on Brown on the play. 
So you can find it fairly easily by that. But go take a look at that play. Watch the coach's film. Watch it go to the end. And you'll see those two going at it after the play. It's really something uh, it, it's it's not good to see. Bozeman, I, otherwise, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I, I agree with, with that it's not good to see. But you know what? If there's this much miscommunication, that's something that if it boils up on the field, maybe we'll actually deal with it. And maybe it'll be a point to say, hey, this can't happen again. Mm-hmm. And with the offensive line being such a tight knit group, that might be good. So if this were Ferris Bueller's day off, you'd be advocating letting the Ferrari go out of the back window of the play. Oh, absolutely. He's going to have to deal with me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Maybe maybe you're right from that perspective. And uh, uh, that play was already destroyed by the IDP. So uh, anyway, didn't didn't really work out. Bozeman uh, didn't have a good game. He was the worst of the of the linemen as I scored it. Uh, one and a half pressures, two thirds of a quarterback hit. He had two two half sacks, so he ended up with one full one. Uh, 0.68 points per play adjusted. It only gets to a D at guard. Some of the things he was doing well in terms of pulling, he did not have a good game this time. Seven out of eleven pulling points, which is is not going to cut it. That's sixty four percent. He made seven blocks in level two, so there's some mobility there. Uh, some of his missed blocks, which he had five, I think three of them were not getting beat at the line of scrimmage, which is a big deal to me. You prefer to get miss a block in level two, move there, and not get beat uh, at the line of scrimmage if you if you have the option of the two. He did have three highlight plays as I scored it. So it's not like it was all negatives, and it's not like it was a truly polar result. Bozeman, as poorly as he's played at times this year, and he's been the Ravens' weakest of the five linemen, has not had a fall-off-the-charts game like we've seen in past years from all across the offensive line. So no F this year from Bozeman so far. The worst game he had was this one, a D. Well, if you go on Twitter, he's got an F-. minus. But Of course. Yeah. That, Polarization of results. Right, exactly. I was trying to point that out. Like, it's not as bad as it as you think, but, God, the bad moments. I If there's a lineman that frustrates me, it's Bozeman. And it's like it's like the squeaky wheel. It's like you again, and that's that's the problem. It's not even a, the wheel turns fine. It's up. Uh, this is a squeaky wheel again, and you're just kind of frustrated with it. I need some WD forty. Yeah, well, it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if I don't think he's done anything, or I don't think he's done enough to lose the job yet. But he's but he's hanging in there at the C minus D plus level now. And it, we're getting to the point where they might consider a change. I'm not sure that's necessarily an upgrade if they do, by the way. But Well, I, your I, options I, are Pat McCarrier, Ben Powers, or James Hurst. You're not having great options there. I would prefer James Hurst because I know exactly what I'm going to get from him. But I know Hurst is just okay. I mean, he stinks if he has a guy who's got a lot of quickness inside. That's a problem of Hurst. Everyone has a problem but I know exactly what I'm going to get from Hurst. Here's my take with Bozeman. If Bozeman doesn't get more power in the second level, doesn't stay on his blocks more and spring stuff open, you got to find someone who will. And if you don't have anyone who will, then you might as well just stick with Bozeman. Okay. All right. So we, we don't really know what we have with powers yet. I think that's a fair statement. He's the, he's the completely untested player. Makari's actually played some already and not played well in the game he played this year so far, but if for whatever reason he's active. So that tells me that the coaches either really value his versatility to play either center or God forbid tackle because the Ravens can't have either tackle go down Um, or that, they don't think Powers is at the same point we assume he is with regard to Makari, which would be ahead of him. I, I certainly hope he's ahead of him. Let's put it that way. Mac- uh, Powers is going to be limited in that he can really only play guard. And maybe he plays right guard, maybe he plays left guard, but he can really only play guard. Uh, Makari can potentially play three three positions, so maybe he's the guy you keep his I'm not putting Makari at tackle. Not doing it. Well, I, I'm not either with his short <laughs> arms at the NFL level. We already saw some reasons not to do during the preseason. But uh, but I think it, he would be the emergency guy there. I don't think they'd go to Yanda. Uh, you know, that would be another option if you go to Yanda at right tackle and move Orlando to the left left side. Also, I think that'd be that'd be very dangerous. One, more, one last point about Hurst here is that Hurst, in the last game that he played at left guard in the wild card game, logged the absolute worst score I have ever had in 12 years of doing this. That's more than 1,000 total individual games scored. It, it, Bozeman has been nowhere near that bad. 
Okay. Hurst had a negative raw score that day. You know, Bozeman, even on a bad day here, was at 0.68 as a raw score, whereas uh, Hurst was, I think, at negative 0.13 in the, in the game against the Chargers. So we're, we're talking a totally different stratosphere of actual result. That's fair. I just, I, I have this, just, Bozeman irritates me. When it's bad, it's just so bad. When it's good, it's just okay. That's the problem. And I, I don't think you have a good answer here. I really don't. I don't think there's a, hey, our problems are solved. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, if I think if powers were ready, it, it, they'd be, they might be close to making that move. But I, I still think, you know, until Bozeman really falls off the table with a truly terrible game, he's shown enough so far in what he's done that that they're going to they're going to stick with it a little longer. Uh, you know, two more weeks at this level, maybe I'm thinking differently about it than to get to the bye and and a change is more reasonable and more normal to be made at that point. So we'll see how it goes. Fair enough. Okay, Matt Skirrell, let's move on. Uh, C in this game, uh, he had two very large deductions, which were, were basically the whole ball game for him. He gave up a sack when he was a bullied individual. You made mention of that earlier. He also had the illegal hands to the face, a very costly foul. Uh, called back a big play, but uh, it, it uh, was a fairly – I wouldn't call it ticky-tack because it did look like he moved Javon Hargrave's helmet. And so doing so, it looked a little bit like a face mask. Uh, that cost him another six points as well. So uh, .78 at center is not going to get it done. That's a C overall, which is not its not terrible. It, it'd be okay if, if I've said all, all along, if Skura is a C-plus player this year and a, and a B-minus or a B player the following year, that he's going to be tremendously valued in free agency. Now I'm seeing... PFF is as him as the fifth best center in the entire NFL right now. By the that way. makes no sense. It it doesn't. He's not bad. He's not good. It There's doesn't match difference. up with my grading so far. I mean, I I just I I'm not completely buying it. I love Matt. Great guy. Came on our show. Tons of inside football information. But uh, but I don't think he's uh, he's truly playing at that level. And one of the things is I don't watch every other center in the league. I just watch Skura play week after week. But I can't point to this year's Skura as being so much better than last year's Skura that he would have moved up so much in the rankings unless the entire rest of the league has fallen off. And I just, I'm not really buying that. Yeah, unless there's a center epidemic I'm not aware of. Yes. <laughs> there, are some, there have been some problems with quarterbacks, so maybe you don't, you don't know. Well, let's move on here. Marshall Yanda, a, a C in this game, by far his worst of the, of the year. Uh, he had had four A's going into this, four straight A's all between an 80, 89 and a 92 raw score, so incredibly uh, consistent. He had a sack in this game. Uh, he's actually had quite a few sack shares, as I've scored it going back the last several years, but it usually works out to be about one and two-thirds or two sacks per year he's been having. It, this, was, this was a sack all his own. Uh, that he gave up to Stefan Tuitt in a, a pretty bad one. Two pressures, one penetration in this game where he allowed a run for a loss, uh, four missed blocks, and uh, ends up with a C. He did, he did do a little bit positive in terms of making three out of three pulls and five blocks in level two, so some positive mobility scores, but not not Marshall's best game, to be sure. Yeah, I think Yanda has the right to be a little bit of a human, like mm-hmm. he's a little fallible. Um, cause he's so reliable, but two, it's a monster. And I, I think sometimes level of competition has to be put into play here. I mean, mm-hmm. to go against him all day long. Yeah. I expect better from Yonda, but it's not like I'm going into next week against Spangles being like, we got a Marshall Yonda problem guys. Yeah. Well, he's going to be facing Geno Atkins next week. And, and there is an adjustment for, for quality of competition, by the way, Chris, in my system. So it's, but I, I would be the first to admit it can never be as much as the difference in competition can possibly be because I limit it to 0.10 as the, is the most it can be. All right, let's, let's keep going here. I gave Brown a B. I'm not going to get into him because we've talked about some of the things here. He did give up half a sack. He did have an IDP penalty. Uh, but I think we want to keep moving on this. But Orlando Brown, not a terrible game by any means, and it's nice to see him have just a, a kind of a, a above-average game and and not have every result be an A or a D kind of thing. So I'm uh, I'm happy to see a result like this from. I just want to see Orlando. solid from Orlando Brown. I just want to see solid. I see solid. I'm happy. Yeah, 
and he's a hell of a player. We're uh, we're, we're lucky to have him, but but he's he's been overhyped by some elements of the media, and I don't really want to get into it more than that. He's he was a C plus player last year, and hopefully he ends up being a B player this year, and and you know gets to the cusp of being Pro Bowl consideration. You know, maybe the fourth alternate who ends up getting called because nobody really wants to play in the Pro Bowl, and he gets a chance. So anyway. Uh, let's talk about some skill position players here. Cause I know people want to hear about that. Pick out anybody you'd like to talk about first, Chris. Well, I, I think Nick Boyle, uh, we're getting really involved with him in the passing game, which makes no sense when you have Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews to me. And there's a really good point to get Boyle some passing targets is because, well then, Oh, he's not just a blocker and you have to take him seriously, but to throw a ball down the field, it ended up being intercepted with him going going above his head. I mean, first off, the throw wasn't that great, but I mean, if you're going to make that throw, make it to Mark Andrews or Hayden Hurst. It's pretty much that simple. He's yeah, not, it down the field. Is a tough receiver in traffic. He's Andrews has much more body control, but 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 Boyle is very tough in traffic. At least about taking that. Uh, the the thing I do like him as a receiver still, and I like the way other teams kind of leave him alone, even in the zone defense, and trying to tr- allow him to make space for himself. Uh, what really bothered me about Boyle's game here was that he had a lousy game as a blocker, just was missing blocks, and it kept showing up in our offensive line notes where he's having to take a partial credit for a missed block or something that happened with a loss on the play that I had to say, well, eighty six got beat by blah blah blah, and that's what happened, kind of thing. It's it, it's just a shame. Both he and Ricard really bad blocking games in this one. Yeah, and when Boyle's not making great blocks, you're not getting the value out of him, and then you could have another receiver on the field because you're not getting what you're supposed to get from him. There you go. That's a that's a you know a fair point. Um, you know they did make some use of Snead and Hurst in this game as receiving options other than Brown and Andrews, which I thought was fairly positive. Uh, you know, obviously they they. They found Snead for a couple longer balls on what was it the drive that tied the game up for the first time, right? I think that sounds right. right. Uh, where they hit him for fourteen, and maybe they hit him for eleven earlier in the drive. I want to say uh, it was a couple good throws. It might have been nine, but uh, but anyway, Snead a couple catches on that one drive. Uh, I like the fact that they went to Hurst. I, I would like to see less hurdling from our tight ends. I just I don't think it's really worth the uh, the risk of fumble of injury that you get with the uh, saw Hurst take a big crack to the back on one of his um, shots and and I you know Andrews you're out of control you're in the air you can take a shot to the head and there's not much you can do about it under those circumstances you can't really move your feet to try and avoid the hit. Oh, I agree. I think the hurdling is getting a little excessive. I think that I think one of the problems you have, and I, you're going for the highlight play a lot on this team. That's why we can't tackle. We go for the highlight tackle. Um, I think it's just an extension of that. I think there's a lot of problems, and that's a small one, but one you should probably note. Right, they could they could take their time with that and uh, and not do it. Anything to say about Brown or Andrews in this game? Uh I would like to know where Miles Boykin is, um, but. Um, Marquise Brown, you know, if you're not going to attack down the field when you get soft zone coverage, I just don't get it. I, you have to at least make that a threat, and that's my biggest problem. I don't feel like we ever really took a shot, and part of that's the offensive line, but he, he's so fast. It doesn't take long to get him open down the field, and, you know, Sneed's just a thing that everyone needs. He's reliable as all get up. Right. I, I, I would agree in terms of taking shots with Brown. You have to do them prophylactically just to show you can. And it it does not take long to get a, a uh, I want to say Joe Walsh throw, but that's not it, a Walsh throw uh, out where the receiver is going to get it between 41 and 43 yards down the field. And that's usually far enough that there's just going to be either one corner along the sideline with them if they're playing single high or you know that's that's really the, the the place where you'd like to hit them. I'm I'm bothered by the fact they're not trying that more. When they did try it in this game, and they tried late to uh, it was Roberts, wasn't it, for effect in the left corner of the end zone where he yep. threw it five six yards out of bounds. Yep, 
And that would have been a big throw for Jackson if he made it. And it was like, oh, it was there, but he just didn't do it. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, he, he went for an even lower percentage pass uh, to Hollywood Brown that won the Arizona game. An even lower percentage pass. And even though Hollywood did good things down the sideline to make space for himself by keeping his route, uh, you know, separated from the boundary and leaving Lamar room, room to throw him open. I mean, he had that sort of space with Roberts on that throw. The ball had to come out a little bit quicker and he had to be a little bit more sure of firing it to the, you know, to the back four by four corner of that end zone, which is not an easy bucket to drop that ball in, but it could have been done. Well, that's the inconsistency with Jackson. You really never know what you're going to get from him as a passer. I think he's exceeded your expectations. If they were reasonable coming into the season, his expectations are exceeded. But the inconsistency, I think the Arizona throw, that was just him showing he was special. He's he's just a gamer. That's what that was. Um, but the Seth Roberts throw, I was like, oh, that would have been a moment. Yeah. That would have been a moment. That would have been like like Tory Smith in 2011. It would have been a great one. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, Josh, what do you got for us in the mailbag? All right. Just a couple questions we're going to take care of today. Um, first one up is, do you guys understand the reasoning that the Ravens offense is running so many plays out of empty back sets? It, to me, it seems like poor strategy as it allows for minimal deception. Okay, so we addressed that a little bit earlier in the show, and I tell you what, that's that's from uh, Brad McGowan, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yes. We're going to have him on on a on a film study short to to explain exactly that topic because he's got some really good ideas on it. I want to make sure we give him the full time to air those. And by the All way, right. when you're contributing questions to Film Study Mailbag, we'll pick the best ones, and we're and the plan is to do film study shorts on them week after week. So, Chris, I think we addressed that a little bit earlier in the show. Do you have anything to add in terms of the empty sets? The only thing I could say is if you spread things out, you can create options for Jackson in the running game, and you have lateral quick quick routes. We have a lot of speed. It's hard to keep up with. I It's not that good of a reason, but I'm trying to put some thought process into it. Okay. So it, you're, you would, it, in some ways, you would give up the option for play action to give this, to get the spread, get the defense spread out even more. Yeah, I and I also think if you have a ball coming out quick, you have a lot of in-breaking routes. Jackson throws in the middle of the field better, and we have speed that's hard to keep up with laterally. That's the only thought process I can really come up with, but I hate not having a back in the backfield. All right. right. All right. Very but good. your deception is Lamar Jackson. Yeah, pretty much. All right, uh, so Ian wants to know if the offense should – uh, utilize more under center two tight end sets in order to help Lamar. Okay. So under center is another play action game. That's the primary gain of being under center. The other one is you can run a QB sneak from there, which, which the Ravens have not been as good running short yardage plays in the post Flacco era. Flacco was the master of the quarterback sneak. He and Yonda really understood the dance steps very well to make sure he got one or two yards and, and, Right to the very end, he was doing exceptionally well. Going out of shotgun, it always seems risky to me, even on fourth and one and a half, uh, you know, to, to, to get that yardage. Uh, whereas it never seemed risky on fourth and one with Flacco to try and uh, try and get that yardage. It's actually surprising. It makes sense when you say it, but you're like, Jackson, the fastest quarterback on the planet, not as good of a quarterback sneak as Flacco. It's one of those stranger but true things. Well, Flacco was, you know, obviously was bigger to start with, but also he just understood the dance steps with Yonda so well in terms of what key he needed to read off Yonda to make his to make his move into level two and and find that spot. It makes sense. All right, what do you? How do you respond to the people who are saying that the Ravens have no offense when they're still first for points, third in uh, yards, second in rushing, and fourteenth in passing? Yet we're all coming out of this game as this offense is horrible. Sometimes they have an offense. That's how I come up to that. Sometimes they have an offense. When things are clicking, it looks really good. When things aren't clicking, it looks really bad. Yeah, they got up to a 17-7 lead in this game, and they did a lot of things right, despite the fact Pittsburgh was getting a lot of pressure on them. And I did like that. And they did it without big plays. Really, they didn't have a single play over 24 yards. They only had that one play for 24 that was over 14 yards. 
in those first three drives where they built up the 17 to seven lead. So to, to me, um, I like the efficiency. I like the low variance of the offense. When you do that, you're committed to not having turnovers and to have been three turnovers in the game really imperiled their situation very severely, but uh, they can easily win games without turnovers and that kind of offense, particularly if they're willing to continually to make good mathematical judgments with regard to fourth down. I've been a big proponent of what, you know, Harbaugh has been willing to do this year in terms of, of gambling there. All right. All right. Uh, Chris, what do you have coming up this week over at Ebony Bird? Well, every week I do a buy or sell piece uh, where I ask Twitter for predictions of the game. So I'll have that up for the Bengals game. Uh, we always break down the game into questions facing the, facing them, the three things to look out for, the three things you want to see. Um, so we're going to shift our gears Really, usually Wednesday and Thursday, we start talking about the next game. Tomorrow, I might have a little bit about the Ravens-Steelers again because, well, I'm still not over how ugly of a win this was, but I enjoy the win so much. Um, so lots of, lots of Ravens-Bengals, a little Ravens-Steelers, and, you know, maybe I'll throw something else in there just to have some fun. Got some particular point you want to make about the Bengals while we got you here? Yeah, I think if we don't win this game by 10, I'm just like, okay, this team is not there. We got to win this by 10. The problem is it's kind of like when you, you're you in like middle school and you have to wrestle the girl in gym class or something <laughs> because you can't win. If you win, you beat the girl, and if you lose you lost to the girl there's no win here for the ravens we don't prove anything with the Bengals. but if you don't beat them badly oh, it's such a bad look so i think the ravens are in this situation where we know they can beat bad teams i need to see if they can beat a team we had the seahawks and the patriots coming up Bengals aren't going to tell me a damn thing about the ravens but okay. I, I want to, and they could, they could tell you the wrong thing, but well, I want to yeah. see them. I want to see how this team puts away a bad team. I want to see them lead by two touchdowns, you know, midway through the third quarter. And I want to see them put the game, game away methodically in a way that's, uh, you know, just soul crushing to them. Yeah. And I think the Steelers game could be an outlier. I think Mason Rudolph, they did a really good job game planning that. And I think mm -hmm. when he went down, the whole stadium was like, let's do this for Mason kind of thing. And by the way, the Steelers play that really well. They learned from the whole Shazier Strong thing uh -huh. and how to rally around a guy. I just, just everything was just snowballing out of control. I mean, nothing was going right. And we won a game. So this could tell us something good, but I think it could be the outlier. I think that could be much worse than it actually was. And this team isn't right right now. It's just not right. So if this is this team worse than the four and five team that won the division, I I think it's about the same. It might it might not be a whole lot different. We didn't know we had Jackson at that point, but it's an interesting parallel to really ask that at uh, at the same point. Let's see. Let's wait until we're, until nine games are in the books this year. And make the same point made because then we'll know if Jimmy Smith is back. We'll have a lot more information, obviously. Oh yeah, is is this? Is this Bengals game an important game for other targets to to open up and kind of showcase a little bit or at least get more experience with Brown and Andrews beat up? Well, yeah, we need to do that anyway. We need to get Miles Boykin involved. We need to see Hayden Hurst make more of an impact than like two throws, three throws a game. Um, we need to get other people involved because everyone knows who Jackson wants to throw the ball to. I actually think that's the biggest problem. He wants to throw the balls to Brown and Andrews every play. Well, that's that is a problem, and obviously one of the things that I or two of the things I'd like to see. The first is I'd like to see him do what he did in in Week Two against Arizona and manipulate the defense by pump faking or by throwing showing a pass to Brown elsewhere than where it's going, and that's that's how Andrews got so open down the sideline for the first touchdown. If if you want to say one other thing, I want to see the the play design 
use Brown and use Andrews as decoys in order to draw the coverage away, do crossings, clear outs, all that you need to do to then find space for some other players. It could be Sneed. It could be Hurst. It could be Justice Hill, who we really haven't seen anything from yet. But it'd be nice to, to see him get a ball in space, particularly in level two, not just not just behind the line of scrimmage. In the Cardinals game, they used Brown as a decoy for Andrews. Yes. And it was close to what you're talking about, but you still are using the core ingredients. Well, it was, I love the fact, you're right. I mean, because it's Andrews and they threw the ball to Andrews, it's true, but they, but they pump fake to Brown on the right sideline, which sucked the entire defense in. And, and then Andrews is open by a mile, 20 yards down the right sideline uh, for an easy touchdown. So anyway. The Ravens offense is salt and pepper. I'm looking for garlic or lemon juice somewhere. Fair enough. All right, Ken, uh, filmstudybaltimore.com. You mentioned the short that we'll be doing later this week. What else is up? So we got, we've, we've got shorts coming. Uh, we, we'll, we're not sure we're having a Know Your Foe episode this week. And not surprisingly, there's nobody really stepping forward for the Bengals uh, Know Your Foe element. I'm still looking for somebody. We might be able to get it done. And we might not. So uh, I'm sorry about that, folks, but we might not have a Know Your Foe episode this week. Uh, we we have offensive line article now out now. We have the defense article. It includes a lot about how the cornerbacks really won the game for the Ravens this week against Pittsburgh. I really believe it was those three guys who were the stars on defense in addition to to Ferguson. And, uh, you know, just a, a lot of stuff out there. Please go comment there. I'll be sure to answer uh, everyone you do, if you have a if you have a sophisticated question or a longer question, drop it in the comments. I'll contact you about doing a, a film study short. All right, I want to get one more mailbag question in because one just came in as we were closing out the show. At Josh uh, this, <laughs> No, 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 no. Uh, I didn't tell people at the beginning, but you can get your questions in through Twitter hashtag Film Study Mailbag. Comment commenting over on the uh, on the website Film Study Baltimore. Or if you comment on this or send me a message on Facebook, that'll also get your question into film study. And this is from Van Scott, who is wondering uh, what would the effect be of using Hill as the feature back instead of Ingram? Uh, and his, I mean, if you want some more of his thought process, it's getting someone with more speed back there. Yeah. More speed, maybe similar power, less of a pass blocker. Ingram's been a very good pass blocker this year. Hill is, attacks the body correctly for a man of his size, but isn't tremendously effective as a pass blocker. Uh, I, we need to see more of Hill as a receiver. I think it does make sense for him to take more snaps, to get a few more carries, to try and get him into space with the football. Uh, you know, they, they haven't really opened up this playbook completely through five weeks. I don't believe we've seen all the layers, and we saw how – loathe and slow that uh, Roman was to bring out layers of the playbook last year, even though he wasn't the offensive coordinator, they really layered in those run concepts week after week when Lamar came in. Uh, There's a lot more to be done with justice Hill. He's one of the exciting players they could, they could do more with. My problem with the whole replace Ingram thing with Hill is that Ingram is more likely to make something happen by breaking a tackle. Whereas justice Hill you, the biggest problem we're having is we're making the blocks and we're not springing anything open. We're not getting that extra big, big block in the second level. If we were doing that, we'd need to see more Hill. I think we need to see more Hill anyway, but that would be my caveat to that. Well, Hill in the preseason had outstanding cutback ability. We really haven't seen that in the regular season yet. It's a different caliber of player. Players tend to be in the right spot and be faster to the right spot, but still it's, it's something that I'd love to see, love to see him get more opportunity to. Oh, yeah. He's fast. That's one one thing you know. All right. That's great. So I think we gave people plenty of homework for the rest of the week. Check out Ebony Bird. Check out Film Study Baltimore. And I want people to go check out the latest Section 336 because we had a new hitting coach that the Orioles just hired on this week. And uh, really interesting conversation about how you develop these young hitters using both the mix of technology and just traditional bet. Uh, body motion. So check that I, I out. Wanna, I want to go and I want to listen to that, Josh, but I want you to tell me something about it. Is this guy a huge proponent of the walk as a leading indicator? 
I don't believe so. He's more on just hidden, not uh, – we didn't get into plate discipline. We got more into hidden and swing mechanics. Okay. Uh, but it's an interesting move by the Orioles because we all know they're hiring a bunch of new people, bringing new guys in. This guy is 27 years old. That's he's. We're talking a hitting coach that's younger than some of the baseball players. So that's very interesting. That's, exactly, to that's watch. exactly what I'd want. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what they do. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Let's hope for uh, a little bit more offense maybe next week. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash savings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.